0: Well, good morning. Good morning. Chase you back to your seats. Some of you have longer to go than others. It's good to be together this morning. If you would, if you you would, grab your Bible and open to Colossians chapter 1 as we continue on in our series. In Colossians, the series that is aiming to help us treasure Jesus, to go about treasuring Jesus in our lives, in our hearts, our heads, our lives, our church, to treasure Christ. As we have seen, that Paul is really after this in terms of his intentions and his focus and hear his prayer. We're in the opening chapter of Colossians chapter 1, and this morning we're going to pick up where we left off in that prayer last week. Looking at, reminding again from verse 10 into verse 14 of Colossians chapter 1. Give everybody a second to get there. Scrolling, flipping, however it is that you get to that, we're going to go to Colossians 1. So I'm going to pick up at verse 10. Again, this is a prayer that Paul is praying and and he's... Getting to the sort of the aim of what it is that he is praying for the Colossian believers. And then since it's here in God's word, it's a prayer for us. Verse 10. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Fully pleasing to him. Bearing fruit in every good work. And increasing in the knowledge of God. And may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. For all endurance and patience. With joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word and we pray that as we come to it this morning, uh, our hearts would be ready for it. Ready to receive and believe and to trust and and basically lay our lives on it, trusting it to be words of life. Would you do good work in us? Would you be with the preaching and the hearing and the receiving and the believing of this your word to your glory and our good? We pray in Christ's name. Amen. The more you know. Right? You got the star, everybody? The little song come into your mind, the more you know, right? Some of us in here know exactly what I'm doing. Not uh, Some of you think I'm looking very odd and weird, but the sentence strikes a nostalgia chord for many of us in here. The melody, the shooting star across the TV screen, the Saturday mornings. It was a catchphrase of NBC, a longstanding PSA produced by NBC. And it ran on Saturday mornings and sought to bring... Much-needed awareness to some social issue or concern that would, in turn, affect some small, significant change in the way we lived. The very, very first More You Know was done by Tom Brokaw in 1989 and encouraged people to become teachers. There was a teacher strike going on. The premise is simple. More knowledge and understanding would lead to a change in how we live. Paul's prayer in the opening chapter of Colossians is a PSA. It's a public service announcement to us right now, this morning. The more you know, the more you change, the more you show in your life. What it means for us this morning is that to live out a life treasuring Christ leads to reflecting Christ in how we live, reflecting Him in the character of our lives and the content of our lives. The way that we live out our lives, if we're going to be serious about treasuring Jesus, will grow and show that. And Paul prays for that, prays for more of that. If you remember a few weeks ago, he was thanking God. He was rejoicing at the fruit of of the gospel in the lives of the people he was writing to. And now he is praying for more of that fruit, that more Of the character and content of Christ. Would be evident in the way that they lived. And the same is true for us. And so really my hope this morning is not unlike last week. That we would prayerfully pursue more gospel fruit in our lives. And that we would take it seriously. With great joy to do so. No matter our age or stage in life we would go about treasuring Christ. And growing at treasuring Christ will bring more transforming gospel fruit in how we go about living. But we need help. We need help to know what we should be looking for in our lives. What kind of fruit, what kind of things should start to be evident in our lives and in the lives of others in here that we want to be encouraging each other to? How will we know we are an orange tree? (laughs) What that means is, when we moved to California 10 years ago, I planted a tree. I thought I planted an orange tree. But nothing came. At all. For years. I had a bush. That I thought was an orange tree. Then one day, this little green thing emerged. One Orange. One. And it was growing and I was, I was so hopeful and so excited. And it started to turn colors. And then I have children. And one of them pulled it and threw it. I didn't know I had an orange tree until I had an orange. We need help to know what kind of fruit to look for in our lives. And Paul's prayer gives us some help. The kinds of things that we can prayerfully pursue in our lives, prayerfully encourage in each other. We need to know what kind of fruit to prayerfully pursue. And Paul gives, it in a direction, gives us this direction in his prayer. So growing at treasuring Christ produces some things in us first i want to say is it produces transformed living explore that in a moment that our lives are transformed and so they begin to look differently secondly it produces in us strengthened endurance and we are in it for the long haul and then thirdly it produces in us a joyful thanksgiving, sort of closing the loop. The prayer started with joyful thanksgiving, and Paul prays that the people would have a joyful thanksgiving in their lives. So that's where we're going to go this morning. Growing at Treasuring Christ produces more transformed living. This is a continuation, what we're looking at this morning is a continuation of Paul's prayer for more Paul prays for more gospel fruit in the lives of believers, fruit that leads them to walk in a manner that is fitting to Jesus with the aim of living a life that pleases the Lord. He's praying that they would come to know that in increasing measure. And this walking to please the Lord life is further fleshed out with four descriptions of what we should be on the lookout for in our lives bearing fruit of good works, knowing God, strengthened endurance and joyful thanksgiving. Those first two, bearing fruit of good works and knowing God, are meant to be seen together, sort of two sides of one coin. And that's why I have them together under this heading of transformed living. Look back with me in our passage. So as to, verse 10, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. What kind of fruit... Should you look for? Well, more fruit of good work and more fruit of knowing God. There is a bearing fruit and an increasing that is to take shape in the lives of those who are in Christ, who trust Jesus. So that, what I mean by that is that there's more fruit that comes and there's more understanding and knowledge of who God is. And what's at the heart? Of this is that what we find in this prayer is that we see God redeems what was lost. God redeems what was lost. The gospel fruit in a believer is a redemption of what was lost in the garden. I'll make that connection here in a moment. What we see here in our prayer in uh, verse 10 is a repeating phrase found in verse 1-6. So look back up just if you would bear with me here. Verse 6, speaking of the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing. We find the same phrase being described now of the Colossian believers. The fruit of the gospel was advancing in the world. And now the fruit of the gospel is advancing in and through actual people. Redeemed people are living out transformed lives. They're doing something they weren't capable of doing before God graciously intervened and rescued them. Hence, it's transformed. It's new. You're not living after this old way of life because God has invaded your life, invaded your mess, invaded your darkness, and brought brought life, and has now rescued you from that. And He is leading you into a new way of living. This is incredible. It is a reversal of what was lost. A reversal of what was lost in the garden. Those words, bearing fruit and increasing, are really pulled, not just from verse 6, but all the way back into Genesis chapter 1. When God was speaking to Adam and Eve, and, 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 and announcing, What the point is, he says, verse 28 of Genesis 1, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So there in creation, we get a picture of God's purposes. That people would live and thrive and expand and grow throughout the whole earth, all for his glory. But that was hijacked. The purpose of creation, especially that of mankind, was To bear fruit and increase to the glory of God. And that purpose was hijacked by sin. And redemption. That purpose is restored. Because of the gospel. We are now able to live our lives for God. To help others come to know him. And this is transformed living. Brought about by God. Graciously. And powerfully. Taking the image of the garden. Many of you are familiar with Genesis 3. And at the end there, when Adam and Eve sinned, God escorted them out of the garden. But by means of his redemptive purposes, Christ escorts them back in. There is a new, rescued, redeemed life. And it is totally transformed to now live for God's glory and to know him more. Two sides of a same coin. Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God are grammatically but also theologically linked. Grammatically linked in that you're to read them together as if you cannot separate them. You cannot pull them apart. That the more you know of God, the more your life is changed and lives for him. You can't divorce those two. Dramatically, it's seen that way, but theologically as well, we cannot pull them apart. The knowledge of God is not just to win arguments with friends. Or to sound smart or to fill up binders. Knowledge of God is to lead to a transformed life in the way that you live. And God has graciously made a way for you to know him. And that way to know him is through faith in Jesus Christ and your life is faith through Jesus Christ, how you get to know him, is now linked. It is to then reflect the character and content of Christ. Cannot pull them apart. And what that means, I, I had to because I, for the rest of the sermon I need my hands, but what that means, <laughs> I've said this before and I'll say it again because I feel like it's a simple, helpful way to put it. At least it is for me. We do different things and we do things differently. Because of what God has done for us in Christ and the fruit that it produces in our lives is that we begin to do different things and we now do things differently. What God has done in us through the gospel has an outward aim to it that shows up in every good work that we start to live differently. We start to, to do things that are different. What we're doing right now is very foreign and odd to the world. But it is crucial for our hearts. We're doing something different. We would not be here if left to our own old way of living. There would be a bed and a pillow and some blankets. It does not matter your age or your stage? Everyone in here would be doing the same thing. Some of you are go-getters and you probably would be at Home Depot. But otherwise, the rest of us are sleeping. But something happened. God did something in our hearts. And he awakened us to something. To his glory and to his grace. And now we want to live differently. We do things different. And we... Do different things. Growing at knowing him. And living for him. Are two sides of one coin. One commentator. Put it this way. The knowledge of God is like a spiral. It leads to more good works. And even more knowledge. Of God. Spiral. Spiraling. Spiraling. It leads to this constant transformation in us. And this living for him. Becomes increasingly evident. In a transformed. Life that we live. But it's not contained. To ourselves. There's something outward about this. Something. Something that's extroverted. Now. There's a. Heavier lean to introverts in here than there are to extroverts. But but there's something inherently extroverted about what God is doing in us. Let me put it in this way. Have you, maybe you personally or somebody that you work with, get transformed in their vocation with coming to know greater productivity skills? It is a booming business in the last 10 years productivity has become a thing. Thus, selling books, conferences, training, all geared to radically improve your productivity at work, but maybe even beyond that, at life. And when people get a hold of these principles, they, they see radical changes affect the way that they do things, how they do it, and then when they do it. And at first, it's awkward. It's, it's awkward until they get the hang of the new personal management philosophy and practice. Then they themselves, their very lives become the biggest proponent of the radical change. And they want others to do the same. They want to help others be that way. Maybe you've experienced that yourself or seen somebody at work do that. Or the easier one, the easier one to grab is, how do you know a person you're talking to has changed their diet and exercise? Give it 90 seconds. They'll tell you, right? I mean, that's usually how it works we get very excited about something that's having a positive impact on the way that we feel and we become the biggest sort of outward sign of what has happened radical changed and transformed living is is outward in its god-given design so so that is something that we Keep in mind, as we treasure Christ, there is an outward aspect to it that we want to help others come to treasure Christ because of the profound change happening in us. And so part of our every good work is to help make known how great and incredible God is. Help others come to know that too. And to help us all to grow at knowing him. Now... With that comes a very tethered to reality, prayerful focus. And the second thing that we're going to consider this morning, and that is strengthened endurance. I'm glad that this is in the Bible because it means we're not crazy. Verse 11, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience. There is a huge implication in all of this. That if we see Paul praying that the church would be strengthened for endurance, that means the context of life is going to require endurance. Which means it's hard. It's exhausting. It's debilitating. It's discouraging. It's all of those things on Monday. Like that's the kind of life that we have between cross and glory. One that is Hard and and draining and challenging. And so I'm glad this is here because I know that it is easy to be discouraged. It's easy to be drained. It's easy to be dissuaded from enduring and from clinging and from treasuring and from knowing. Sometimes you just don't want to do anything. Everything in your life is demanding, demanding your time, demanding your energy, demanding your emotions. All of it, from your phone to your boss and everything in between. It's demanding. And you just want to chill. You just want to relax. You just want to stop. You don't want to think about it. I'm glad it's in the Bible. I'm glad that the reality of what life is like between cross and glory is here. Requires endurance. And so we see here. That we are called to pray and to plead to be strengthened for endurance. For all endurance and patience. Some, note, some things to note that are very important. First of all, the strengthened for endurance is first given by God. If you see there in your Bible in verse 11, may you be strengthened. This means it's an action being done to you. not something you possess of yourself. It's not something that you got to dig down and unearth. Oh, there I am. I'm strong. There's my bootstrap. I'm going to pull it up. No, you don't have a bootstrap. You're barefoot and, and broken and empty and weak. You have no strength of your own. No, instead, it is something most incredibly done to you. Action being done to you. Given by God. With all power, which is better understood as by means of God's power. So the strength that you have in your life to endure is by means of God's power. Which means this strength that you have in your life to endure for this transformed living is supplied graciously and supernaturally. It is outside of you, graciously given to you from God of all of the cosmos. The God who spoke into existence all things out of nothing is graciously and supernaturally at work in you to bring about completion of what he started. Philippians 1.6 You are not doing this alone. Left to yourself with the minimal strength that you think you have. God is with you. Working in you so that you have the strength to endure and live for Him in the reality of a hard, harsh, easy-to-be-distracted, or bored world. He is at work. And this power that He is at work with in you is according to His glorious might. So this is where you get to preach to yourself the character and worth of God. The glorious might of God is strengthening you so you can endure in a hard, harsh, easily distracted, or bored world. Glorious might. He didn't give you just a little bit, a smudge, just a, oh, I remember you. Oh, there's, there's a little bit of power. No, he gives out of his glorious might, it never diminishes. It means it knows no limit. It's infinite, it knows no limit. And it never runs out, it's eternal. God's glorious might is forever. So, friend, you who are trusting and relying on God's power at work within you, you are relying on the most sure power in all of the heavens and the earth. Ever. Anywhere. I don't believe, I don't know, I mean, I guess so. I, people tell us that, really, really smart people tell us that the sun will stop working someday. Okay, Whatever. Let's say it is, and let's say it's next Tuesday. The power at work within you will never run out. Doesn't even diminish. The levels don't dip. Four bars, always. It's remarkable. It's remarkable. Because of the context in which we live in. Because of the greatness of God. The world around us, our wayward hearts within us, and the devil are very real challenges to us bearing fruit of every good work and knowing God more. The world around, the flesh within, and the devil, they conspire together to make this life hard between cross and glory. Every day you wake up with the same challenges. They may change in the way they hit you, but it's the same. The world around, the heart within, and the devil. The world seeks to distract you or discourage you or even comfort you with something other than Christ. Your flesh, your heart inside, left to itself, will run after the junk food of idolatry. Looking for a cheap fill only to leave you with spiritual indigestion later. And the devil the devil conspires with all the things of the world and the shame of your own sin. And it offers you a false gospel to sort of ease yourself through the hurts and burdens and hardness of life. Between cross and glory is hardship. And here we have Paul praying. And one of the fruits that you are to be on the lookout in your life and in the lives of other people in here. It's strengthened for endurance. It's to not give way. To encourage each other. To hold tight. To impatiently endure these challenges. We together need something greater than the challenges at work within us. 1 John 4, 4, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Church, we have the joy and privilege to be able to gather together and say to one another, hold on. Steady. That we are willing to be close enough to each other to speak to hearts that might be embittered. to, To speak to people who have eyes that might be distracted. To speak to each other with lives that might be lazy and say, Jesus is better. Let us go about treasuring him. Life that we have is filled with all sorts of obstacles. The church should be a place where we help each other. Hurdle the obstacles by the strength by what God gives us. Tethered to reality. It is street level. It is on this earth and planet real life prayer that Paul is praying. And we would go about living a transformed life, look for the fruit that we would go about strengthened for endurance and that we would do so thirdly With joyful thanksgiving. Look for the fruit of joy. And thanksgiving. We could know everything. Humanly possible about God. We could fill all the volumes of theology. But if our hearts are hard. It's worthless. We could be the most gifted. Skillful people. At leading others. We could have the greatest voice that draws out all other voices to sing and yet have a hard heart and it would be worthless we could be the greatest youth whisperer ever able to identify and get into the lives of a 13 year old but if we have a hard heart we are missing Oh, that we would see greater, joyful thanksgiving in the hearts and content and feel, if you will, of the church. There's heart work that comes with being a thankful person. And our passage concludes here, this prayer concludes with this incredible foundation for our thanksgiving. For our joy. If you want to just cut through all the fat and you want to get right to the meat of why we should always be a perpetually joyful, thankful people, read these last two verses. Verses 13, or 12, 13, and 14, three verses. So, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Why? What foundation do we have to always be a joyful people? It is, not, is it not then the character and work of God? Is it not who God is and what He has done? Look at what God does. He qualifies us. He makes it so that we fit the requirements that are necessary for us to belong to God. He does the work of qualifying us. Now, he doesn't do that by just sweeping it under the rug or overlooking it. No, he meets the requirements for us in our place. He sends his son, Jesus, to meet the requirements that we could never meet of our own. He did it. He's qualified us by doing the work. And then what does he do? He delivers us from the kingdom of darkness. And this word for deliverance and then the next word for transfer is to make the original uh, audience and the church of Colossae think immediately of the Exodus. Where where God, through Moses, led the people out of slavery, out of bondage, and then led them out of that into then this new promise, this new context. And then we see Under Joshua's leadership, they go into the promised land. But they're delivered from something that they had no hope of rescuing themselves from. It's a remarkable picture of rescue. And it's a remarkable picture of God seeing that rescue all the way through. The the continuing of the Exodus imagery in which we are transferred into the kingdom in which Jesus is king. And he does all of this. By means of redemption. He paid the cost. In order to forgive. Our sins. Every one of us in here. Will have all sorts of hard and bad days. Every. One of us in here. And there will always be. Some obstacle in your life. Pulling you away. From having a joyful thankful life. There will be some sort of. Distraction, some comfort to lull you to sleep, or some sort of obstacle and hardship that just just batters you up, where you don't feel all that joy. My friends, come back to these verses. Come back to the character of God in those moments. Come back to the work of God in those moments. Come back to the reality of what God has done for you in those moments. If you are living a Psalm thirteen life in which you are crying out how long, how long, how long, how long, read all of the psalm. It's six verses. There are no answers to the how longs, the psalmist asks, not one. The hard life. At the end, the psalmist reminds himself of the character and work of God and clings to that. Your life may be threadbare. If that thread is what God has done for you in Christ. You are fully clothed. Preach to your heart. The character. The worth. And the works of God. You are desperate for that. That leads us. To a joyful, thankful heart. So what does that mean? Well, there's something that I pray often for myself and for our family when we're praying and thinking on these things together. And I pray these things. I pray for happy, humble, hopeful hearts. When we consider who God is and what God has done. When we consider what Paul is praying for. That there would be a with joy giving thanks to the Father. We pray for happy, humble, hopeful hearts. You notice there in your Bible that there's a phrase, with joy. Better, it would be better rendered if it's not in your translation, with the giving thanks, rather than with the patience, though both apply. But it's with joy giving thanks. With joy giving thanks. That we would have hearts that are happy. Happy to know what God has done for us. So we know that joy... Is based on uh, something that is of substance, not circumstances. Joy isn't rooted on the circumstances of life, but really on something that is foundational and substance. Circumstances are volatile. They go up and down. They go hot and cold. But the gospel of grace is substance. Our happy hearts are happy on the foundation of the gospel. Our humble hearts are humble when we keep in light all that God has done for us. And our hearts are hopeful. When we realize that this God doesn't change. And that he sees it all the way through. Well, it's a formation of a joyful thanksgiving fruit in the way that we live. Rooted on who God is and what he has done. Now, when I think of these things, it, it, I oftentimes think of songs that come to mind. And there's this old hymn that has been with me for a long time. I'm going to read it to you. It's three verses and they're short. I want you to hear these words in light of what Paul is praying for. In light of the fruit that we want to see happening in our lives and in our church. The hymn is called, All Must Be Well. Here are the words. Through the love of God our Savior, all will be well. Free and changeless is his favor. All is well. Precious is the blood that healed us. Perfect is the grace that sealed us. Strong the hand stretched forth to shield us. All must be well. Though we pass through tribulation, all will be well. Ours is such a full salvation. All is well. Happy, still in God confiding, fruitful if in Christ abiding, steadfast through the Spirit's guiding. All must be well. We expect a bright tomorrow. All will be well. Faith. Can sing through days of sorrow. All is well. On our Father's love relying. Jesus, every need supplying. Yes, in living or in dying. All must be well. May we be a church that grows at treasuring Christ. May this lead us to be a church that grows at reflecting more of Christ. And may this lead others to come to know Christ. May this be to God's glory and our good. Let's pray. God, we pray that you would do this work in us, that you would help us see just how you have supplied for us. God, may we see more and more of that fruit in our lives. May there be a greater transformed living taking shape in us. May we Endeavor in our lives to live for your glory and to know you more. And may you strengthen us to endure all the ups and downs, the joys and sorrows of life. All the distractions and discouragements. God, would you strengthen us so that we would say all must be well. God, may we be a people joyful, not naively with our head in the sand, but knowing your greater power is at work within. And your greater purposes will not be thwarted. I may you do this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.